Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we are going over all things DFS, attacking that main slate here in the upcoming Sunday for Week 10. As always, I am joined by none other than PFF's own Andrew Erickson, the prop prophet himself, is back. Andrew, how are you, my friend? Doing good. I, I may or may not have burnt the top of my mouth when I had... I, I went aggressive after some soup last night for dinner because I was really hungry, and I... I definitely, I need to let it cool down a little bit. So I'm fighting through the pain right now. <laughs> Playing through the pain. Hurt, not injured, Andrew. And you're proving uh, the difference in that today. As always here, people, we're going to go through our potential cash lineup at first, then hand some tournament plays for those that aren't big fans of DFS. You know, a lot of what we are going through is all salary-based. So if we talk up someone that, you know, we are really in on this week, not necessarily, you know, a huge uh, player that we're necessarily super in on in redraft land. So starting things off with cash, talking about head-to-head games, the 50-50 uh, uh, just formats. We are trying to build the highest floor possible, not caring as much about ownership. We'll get more on that with the tournament plays. So, Andrew, as always, you know, you send me over your plays uh, usually in the morning on Thursday. I basically go through mine and then look at yours. And I think it's, again, a pretty straightforward cash week, at least in terms of what we should do in our top five, top six spots. At quarterback, I know, I know our motto. It's been Jalen Hurts or just Jalen Hurts. Like, we'll make money with Jalen Hurts. We won't make money with uh, anyone else. But, Andrew, we do have one Carson Wentz, $600 cheaper, facing the Jaguars, and we got the natural stacking buddy, Michael Pittman, costing just 6.3K. Are we riding with the Colts stack this week? Yeah, I think Wentz makes a lot of sense where he's priced down below 6K. And there was a lot of directions you could go with at the quarterback position. I kind of found myself, like, first, I always look at Hurts first because that's just what I do. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> is, does he make sense here? But then I was like, you know, there's a lot of ways where you can find value here, you know, especially with running back where we could have it basically a you know, three down back under 5k, which is going to open up a ton of salary for other positions. But I mean, you can't deny what Wentz has been doing. He's been so consistent. Like you don't necessarily need a super high ceiling from him. If you're playing him under 6k, which lets you jam in a bunch of other studs. So I didn't originally start with Wentz as my cash quarterback. I had, I like Dak Prescott. You know, at 6,900, I liked him more in the environment against the Falcons. And I really think you can't go wrong at all the places, but if you want to pay down, go to Wentz. Again, he's now 17. At least he's thrown at least, he's got at least 17 fantasy points in all but one game this season. Like, you want to lock in 17 fantasy points, like you're going to get that from Wentz. And that makes sense at his price. He's thrown multiple touchdowns in six straight games. He's missing the birth of his child potentially to play against the Jaguars. So, you know, he better deliver. Like, if he sucks <laughs> and he misses his child's birth, like, I mean, sorry, like the man upstairs is not going to be okay with that, uh, Carson Wentz. And we know, Car- we know. I mean, Carson is super religious, right? Like, this is a great storyline, Andrew. Like, one of the most important things we could possibly bring up here. I do agree there are other options. Wentz at 5,900, based on some of the early builds I've done, I do like it because, as we'll get to these other guys, I think that gives you the easiest path to really paying up more of that last flex spot. But, hey, if you're fine with getting a Cordero Patterson, DeAndre Swift type instead of, you know, a Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, you can go up to Dak and stack him with CeeDee Lamb or even go all the way up to Tom Brady at 7,600 Mike Evans. I guess with Brady, again, just seeing kind of how the rest of the lineup shakes out, I am a little bit worried about that. And at some point, Andrew, like if he is going to be down AB and potentially Chris Goblin, like I get it, we'll jam Mike Evans in everywhere. But I do wonder if, you know, that could just be a little too much for Brady to overcome. I'm not saying Washington's going to beat them or anything, but in terms of, you know, cash game, usually we don't like having such an immobile quarterback in the first place. And if Evans is really the only high end guy he has out there and Gronk's not looking great to play either, that's, I guess, where I'd be hesitant paying that far up for Brady and cash. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we love Brady because he has all these weapons. and But we've also seen him, you know, saw him with the New England Patriots when he didn't have weapons. He doesn't play nearly as well, and that's not, like, his fault. Like, that's why he's good because he works well with all these weapons. And if it is only Mike Evans, like, that does kind of limit, you know, his potential ceiling um, if he's the only show in town. Feeling good about Wentz. Now looking at running back, Andrew. You, you buried the lead a little bit. We mentioned our savior this week, Dearness Johnson, just 4.7K. We need to see if Nick Chubb is going to be out of the picture. We know Kareem Hunt is still gone. Chubb does have the chance to return those negative COVID tests and be ready to go by Sunday. But honestly, Andrew, like if Dearness, okay, all right, there's a, 
as always, people, we do our Friday evening injury podcast. Make sure you guys check that out because we'll have a lot more clarity here because at the exact same price point, we got Devin Singletary where Zach Moss is also in question. Started the week off with a DMP in the concussion protocol. Was able to get that non-contact jersey on and participate in Thursday's practice though. So Moss does have a chance of returning. The Bills are facing the Jets' league-worst defense and fantasy points per game allowed the position. I mean, this is where we can save salary, Andrew, because I want to get up to those 6k wide receivers if there is a spot other than tight end defense where we can go down the pricing scale it's definitely to Dearness johnson or devin singletary yeah and i think that at least with me i think it's pretty clear if i was going to play one of them it would be Dearness yeah. over devin singletary just the thing with singletary i, I almost kind of wish zach moss plays so i don't have to play devin singletary <laughs> because i know like i know where the trap is here and it's just the bills just don't give him the ball ever and they just throw every single time and it doesn't even matter that he's facing a defense that allows the most fancy points to running backs by 10 points per game like it's it's insane the, the margin between the jets and the second worst team which is the lions who we're going to talk about really quickly as well but I, i'm just i have that concern that they just don't feature the running backs to say Matt Breida just takes over what Zach Moss's touches would have been. Like, that's not out of the range of outcomes. Whereas if Dearness Johnson is act, like he's the only running back on the team. Like they, they sure. signed Brian Hill off the practice squad, but he's not going to like have any significant role coming off the street. So I feel really good about Dearness, but not nearly as thrilled to play Devin Singletary. But I also know it's a volume play. Like he should see the volume and the matchup is there. So I'm going to have to begrudgingly play him and I'm not going to feel, but then I'm going to know if it doesn't work. Like I know exactly why. <laughs> I will say, because over the past few years, it hasn't been great for Singletary, even when Moss and before Moss, Frank Gore, were out of the picture. They would just elevate TJ Yeldon to the active roster and kind of split things. In week one, when Zach Moss was a healthy scratch, though, 11 carries, 5 targets on a pretty robust 75% snap rate. So... Most recent example, one game, sample size, you know, obviously we've seen plenty of wrong come from trusting those uh, in the past, but at least it does seem like Singletary should be the fairly undisputed lead back, certainly capable of catching passes. Caught seven of them last week, but yes, Andrew, I am wish I'm with you. Hopefully... Nick Chubb is healthy enough to be back in week 11, but we can get that Dearness Johnson play and not have to worry about Devin Singletary. So otherwise, Andrew, do we want to go in on just Najee Harris? I guess my only kind of prop, like my question is like, do we want Najee or Deontay in cash? Because with obviously Juju's been out, now it's looking like Claypool could be missing time as well. I mean, Ben, we've seen him already concentrate targets enough, but at the same time, I am nervous about putting two Steelers pass catchers in the same cash game lineup, even if we are facing the Lions of all freaking teams. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm if I'm picking between those two guys, I'm, I'm still going with Najee, uh, I think, over Deontay. I just, you know, looking at, like, potential game script, but let's say the Steelers get up and they don't have to throw the ball. They just decide to give it to Harris, and it's not even the fact. I mean, Deontay's obviously, I mean, he already had the highest target share, basically, among all receivers, and now Claypool's out, but it's like, okay, like, how much higher is he even really going to get? Like, it's already pretty maxed out. Like, all of 14, it. All of it, Andrew. He could get 14 targets in this game and still like be like okay he's got to find the end zone so i actually like Deontay more like as a tournament play like with Najee harris like playing them i think because you're right i think people are going to put them together and be like oh like this is gross like what am i doing so i think that's actually a more of a tournament strategy playing them together but i think for cash i mean harris 24 touches per game is number one in the nfl first and expected fantasy points per game and it's funny i looked at the pff projections and harris is projected for five more points than the next closest running back like it's like not even close the type of workload he has based on every other running back based on the matchup so i think it's far and away Najee harris as the cash game lock at running back would you go deontay over metcalf straight up even having Najee there or would you rather have metcalf i think i would rather have deontay i mean like i, I mean like we saw it's last tough. week what happened with um do you have mike evans in that lineup too i know mike evans yeah. is in that kind of price range too okay, okay. yeah that's a tough one for me because, okay, we got Wentz, we got Pittman. I agree. Dearness and Najee should be the guys. I also think probably James Conner, man, at just 6,300, taking Chase Edmonds out of the picture with that ankle injury. We'll see a little bit more of Eno Benjamin, but honestly, like, if we were going to see a true split committee, that would have happened last week. And before that fourth quarter of that blowout Cardinals win, it truly was the James Conner show. So to see him at just 6,300, that's kind of who I'm looking at in the flex. And from there, we can really fill out with these high-end 6K wide receivers. Is that kind of where you're looking at, Andrew, or is there a different running back you'd like to get in here? 
I mean, I still like, I mean, I like paying up at running back. I like getting in jamming as many like running back studs as I can. I still like Dalvin cook. I know that he's got some off the field stuff going on right now, but all indications are that he should be suiting up to play and he's playing the chargers defense, the defense that can't stop anybody on the ground. Like, and we have this run team that we likes to run the football with Dalvin cook. So I get like Jonathan Taylor like up there as well. I think Taylor, I think he, there's ways where you can play Harris and Taylor and, or, and cook like and slash or cook, like playing both those guys with Dearness as the savings running back. So that's kind of the way I like looking at getting the two pricey running backs plus Dearness and then just taking in some of those lower receivers. All right. The two V two that I'm basically, I think we're kind of talking through at this point is going to come down to that wide receiver and flex spot. Let's cut through the shit here, Andrew, because we got <laughs> Gerald Everett at 2.6K. That's our cheap tight end of the week. Before the Seahawks buy, we saw him regain that every down role, essentially. I think his snap rate was like 78% or something like that. The role he had before he got put on the COVID list that we were very happy about, but obviously got on the COVID list, came back. Now Gino was there. But to see Everett, a truly talented tight end at 2.6K, I mean, this is like that week where we played Will Disley with Everett out, but like we didn't feel good about that. I actually feel good about Everett at this point. And you can get up a little bit more. You know, Arnold's still under 4K. Uh, Adam Troutman with Jawan Johnson being a random uh, healthy scratch. He is in play at 3K, but I don't think there's any even any need to get up in those guys. Just get Everett at 2,600. And then at defense, you can get super gross and go with the Jaguars. I do think you can get up to the Titans at 2,600 facing either Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill. They are at home. The only other defense cheaper at home is Washington versus Tampa Bay. We are not doing that. So uh, with that in mind, we have Everett. We have Tennessee. Obviously, we already have Pittman and that wide receiver one spot. Mike Evans, I think, should be locked in here with the injuries going on and just with this matchup against Washington. Can't cover anybody. Yes, they can rush the passer when you're facing Tom Brady's second quickest release time in the league. Don't think he's going to get there. So, Andrew, assuming we kind of have that same general build, it sounds like you're leaning towards paying up for Dalvin Cook or someone like that, maybe even Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, not the worst idea in the world, obviously. And then that kind of gives you some something around that 5.5K range to finish off the lineup in that last receiver spot who are you kind of looking at in that range or do you just have a different kind of build in mind altogether no it's exactly kind of how i got things set up and my my favorite like 5k receiver because like after like under 6k there's really not a lot of receivers i like i kind of went yeah. through thinking okay go i usually have like a list of like six or seven guys that i, I are viable i'm like all right between you know under 6k and above 5k there are like two receivers yeah. i like like we'll probably end up playing and so one of them i think is that's cash is jerry judy um, at 5,300, I'd like Jerry Judy a ton this week. He's my number one ranked Broncos running back or running Broncos wide receiver, 29% target share in his second week last, uh, back from injured reserve. I, I like the matchup here against the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles have just been one of these slot funnel defenses where they're really good at protecting the outside against the perimeter, but they're getting beat by tight ends or they're getting beat by slot receivers. Last week, we saw it with Keenan Allen have a monster game. They've allowed the highest passer rating to opposing wide receivers that are lined up inside 135.1 and Judy is starting to come back and Cortland Sutton has disappeared like like in the games that Judy has played Sutton has been a non-factor if Darius Slay is okay from his injury I assume that we're going to see a lot of Slay on Sutton which is going to be a matchup that Teddy Bridgewater just looks the other way he probably just won't even look towards Sutton like he has done whenever Judy's been on the field so I think Jerry Judy makes a ton of sense here and now that he's back fully healthy from injured reserve i feel really confident playing him at his price tag three games this year with a healthy jerry judy with the broncos he has 19 targets in those games tim patrick has 12 noah font has 11 alberto has 11 Cortland sutton in fifth on his own team just nine targets i'm not saying he's going to be behind both tight ends forever but clearly and we expected this man going to the year with teddy bridgewater under center judy is going to be that guy more weeks than not and i also just think that this really could be similar to what we saw keenan allen do last week when you're facing such a zone heavy defense like the eagles i mean they've they've given up some big plays because they face some pretty damn good quarterbacks this year you know obviously got uh you know ripped up a little bit a few times but I do think the Keenan Allen type the Jerry Judy type capable of sitting in those zones and just winning on more of the yak plays like that's the guy you expect to go off in this matchup versus the bigger play wide receiver like a Cortland Sutton like a Mike Williams so Andrew I'm feeling pretty good about this right now again we got some injury situations to hash out and see where it goes but the Wentz and Pittman stack 
Dearness, Najee, and probably I think Eckler is standing out to pay up for at running back. Then Mike Evans, Jerry Judy at receiver with Gerald Everett and the Titans to save some salary. Any final cash game thoughts? No, I think too. I think that the Packers and Seahawks game, that is a late game, correct? Like they're playing. So yeah, so even if, yeah. so you're going to know by the time Gerald Everett even plays whether you're going to win or not. So it doesn't even really matter what he does for the most part as a Seahawks because you're going to know because chances are Gerald Everett's not going to save your cash team. So yeah, I think the tight end play with Everett, I get it feels kind of gross, but you know, the routes run per drop back was there, like you said, before the bye week. And that was something I remember just like doing is like, I need to pencil this away while he's on the bye week because people forget, you know, yeah. people forget about these teams coming off buys and he's got Russell Wilson back. So I think this is the highest upside he could have. It's the highest upside tight end you can get probably at 2,600. So I like the call. Real quick, would you rather have Eckler or Devontae Adams? Because with the or do we have that room? We do not have that room. Never mind. So a moot point, Andrew. I do think Devontae is a little cheap this week. You know, just 7,900. I mean, this guy was at 9K a couple weeks ago. But again, when we have Evans, Pittman, even Deontay, if we want to go there, just $1,000 cheaper, I don't feel the overwhelming urge to get up to Devontae this week. No, I just don't like the Packers-Seahawks game. Like, I just yeah. don't like that game. Like, we, we talk about this, like, when you first see that, you think Rodgers, Wilson, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, like, all right, sweet, shootout. And then you're like, pace of play, gross. Because yeah. most teams are just so slow. Like, they're not playing in shootouts. And when you have one team that's slow, the only way to get them to play in a more up-tempo offense is for the other team to, like, drive the narrative and make them play fast. But they're playing Seattle, which doesn't do that either. And Russell Wilson is coming back. You know, both these guys are coming back off of extended time. We saw Prescott come back off extended time and look horrible. So that's why I think that that game in particular is kind of like one of the fake, like it's a game I really don't like a lot as like a stacking game. It's something I think there are a couple of one-offs I like, because obviously there's talented players in that game, but it's not a game I want to stack. And I think that it makes Devontae Adams riskier, even though he has such a high target share. I mean, there are other guys that we have, like like Devontae Johnson, like his target share is actually higher than Devontae Adams and he's way cheaper. So those are my thoughts kind of on Adams. Yeah, uh, my mismatch manifesto article I do every week. One of the things I look at is uh, combined situation neutral pace in the matchups. And three slowest ones of the week, Jaguars, Colts, Browns, Patriots, and Seahawks, Packers. Pretty clear which one you wouldn't expect to belong there. But alas, here we are. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, man. So, okay, that is going to sum up our general cash game thoughts. Now, with tournaments, obviously, we are down to take more risk. If you want to go with a Russ Metcalf, bring it back with Adam Stack, that's okay. I mean, you know, a uh, fun quote from uh, one of my mentors over the years and truly great fantasy analyst, Matthew Friedman. Uh, and, you know, he does great stuff to this day, but he made a good point, you know, in some random like RB breakdown, like week 15 of 2016. Contrarianism is not a license to be an effing moron. So we do got to remember that not every single play that we come up with in a tournament is, you know, hey, it's a tournament. We can do whatever. So don't want to quite be an idiot, Andrew, but I do think uh, it does give us a lot more, um, obviously, maneuverability. So starting things off with quarterback, I want a ton of this Vikings-Chargers game because really when we look at these guys, I thought the Vikings, who were my favorite stack uh, really last week, they had things going for them. They just didn't get the volume, had a kick return touchdown, you know, a couple things didn't go their way. We're able to play with a lead a bit more than anticipated. And I think if you just look at what's been going on in these offenses, like Justin Jefferson, it's ridiculous, like nine targets over the past two weeks combined. That's not going to stick for the entire year. And when you look at all the wide receivers, people can get down from up top. I think he and Adam Thielen are guys where people are just going to look at the guys around them. Your Deontay's, your Mike Evans, your CD Lambs. Pay for those guys instead of the Vikings receivers. And for a tournament, I am down to take that risk. And it's so easy to bring it back with Keenan or Andrew. Mike Williams, who is finally affordable again. I get it. We've had a couple down weeks, but you look at the guy's snaps. He's still playing in every down role in a great Chargers offense that, yeah, has been feeding Keenan Allen for a few weeks, but I just don't think that's necessarily going to be an every week occurrence, particularly against a Vikings secondary that we've been trying to tee off on all season long. So I also think that going with the Matt Ryan, Cordero Patterson, Kyle Pitts stack, where like you're getting his top two receivers without rostering a single wide receiver uh, is a pretty fun time. And then we obviously talked about Tom 
Brady before, although not loving that if he is going to be down multiple high-end weapons. Uh, Andrew, I know you're with me here, at least on the Minnesota side of things. Do you want to put Cousins with both Jefferson and Thielen, or do you think you can maybe just do one? I think you could probably just do one. You know, something I've been trying to do more of is look at the winning lineups in the GPP contest I'm in. You know, I kind of want to see like, what was the construction here? Why did this roster win? Like, was I on these plays? Was this like totally galaxy? Burn? I was like, okay, this guy just got a wicked lucky, like playing some guy I've never heard wicked. of. Like, or, <laughs> or was it there like a systematic approach here that was really good? And, and something I've noticed is that there, at least the terms that I've played, a lot of single entry stuff, there really hasn't been a lot of like over stacking and not a lot of like just like double stacks with a bring back. I know that's kind of like the standard quo, like kind of you just kind of throw it in, but I, I don't think you always need to necessarily do that, especially when you know looking at Kirk Cousins, he's not really more of a volume passer, it's more of an efficiency type of passer. So you're looking for touchdowns. So I almost kind of like Cousins with a Thielen or Jefferson and a Conklin, you know, uh, get that tight end equity, which is always attached to touchdowns anyway. So I think that's it. And he's also in a good matchup. Like he was something that I think is like kind of a cash file. Well, at 3,400 again, if you have the money to move up, if you just don't feel like Everett, I think Tyler Conklin makes a ton of sense. He's really been really efficient this year. He's been really highly involved in that passing offense. And it's a good matchup against the Chargers who are not good against tight end. So Kirk Cousins, I think, you know, like the matchup for him, something else I've been doing as well is looking at not necessarily like, you know, fantasy points against, but looking at particular coverage schemes for these defenses and looking at, you know, because quarterbacks can be just tough. It's really about efficiency. Like they can throw for X amount of yards and they just don't get there in fantasy because they don't throw any touchdowns. You really need to get that efficiency. And Kirk Cousins, I've noticed a lot this year, just kind of looking more at it, been really good against cover one and cover three. You know, that's why he had a pretty productive game last week against the Baltimore Ravens. I know he had the rushing touchdown, but it could have been passing touchdown too. So, you know, don't come at me yet, quite yet. I get that. <laughs> uh, but the Chargers are a similar defense in that manner. So cover one and cover three look. So I know that the fantasy points per game allowed by the Chargers doesn't look great for Kirk Cousins, but the scheme is favorable to him. And that's why like, we always think about like, oh, like how did this quarterback, you know, do this against this defense? And it's probably more or less related to the type of defense they run is more favorable and the same reason why quarterbacks bust sometimes when the matchup on fantasy points actually says they should do better so Kirk Cousins is PFF's third highest graded quarterback against cover one and cover three so yeah and in this game is supposed to be paced up you have two teams that are running set at the top of the league in terms of plays per game it reminds me a, it reminds me a lot of Kirk Cousins playing that Baker Mayfield role when the Browns played the Chargers like a game where we were like nah like there's nothing's gonna happen it's like oh well, Mike, Mike Williams like two ADR touchdowns like that's what I could see playing from this game. So I like to call it Mike Williams. And then, yeah, Kirk Cousins is someone I like at 6,100. Moving on to running back position. One thing we talk about almost every time on the show is just how easy it can be to create contrarian tournament lineups by looking at what the easiest lineups are to construct and then doing the opposite of that. And Andrew, I think it's pretty clear this week that there's so much value in the lower parts of the running back position that paying up could give us an edge. And I mean, paying all the way up. So, I mean, right now, we know Dearness is there. We know Singletary's there. But the way Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson are going, I do think Brandon Bolden at 4,400 is going to end up being a viable play. And we even got Alvin Kamara, who hasn't been able to practice all week. And that could leave Mark Ingram at 4,500 as someone else that is going to fetch a lot of salaries. So, yeah, people want to have these 4K running backs so we can get up to all the ballers in the 6, 7K range at wide receiver. And then you can also pay down at tight end like that's it people that is the easy way to build a lineup this week so andrew let's do the opposite and get christian freaking mccaffrey under 9k yeah it's a bad matchup but who cares we have a running back that can catch 10 passes philip walker's under center any week that people are off cmc i mean i'm just not used to seeing this like our usual rule of thumb with when derrick henry you know just i not trying to <laughs> Not trying to bring up bad memories, people. I'm sorry. But, you know, whenever we had Henry on a slate, it was like, all right, is the whole public on him this week? Okay, we're going to fade and cross our fingers. Is the public off him? We're going to get on it. I feel like with CMC, he's someone that always has the high projected roster ship. But right now, with our projections, just 4%. Let's get him in every tournament lineup, man. Yeah, no, I, I was really like, and I like the first thing I did was like, I was writing up CMC and I looked at, all right, what's the, what's the field doing? Like, I was really curious to see like, okay, what is going to happen? And 4%, I, I was really surprised because I, I don't think I've really ever seen it this low when he's been, you know, you know, 100% healthy. Like he probably is right now. So I guess the thing with me is 
I don't know, know why the, the field is so gun-shy on, on McCaffrey. You know, I, I was watching that game. Obviously, they were playing the Patriots last week, so I was watching that game really closely. And, I mean, he looked good to me. Like, he was breaking off some nice runs. And I know he only played 49% of snaps, but he had 18 touches on half the snaps played. Whenever he was out there, he got the rock. Five targets, 38% target rate per route run. He's not going to play 49% of the snaps again. If anything, it's going to go up. So he's going to see, okay, right around probably four, 24 touches. So the usual CMC workload. So I was confused about, you know, why? I mean, if this was last week, okay, I totally get that. Why is it 4%? That makes total sense. Like coming back from injury, we don't know what's going to happen. And that process would have been right because he played 49% of the snaps and, and did definitely not score enough fantasy points to pay off his salary last week. But we saw that week and everything was encouraging. So I don't really know why he's at 4%. So yeah, I'm going to keep, I'm going to play CMC. I love it. Get up to CMC. And I also just think there are some other ways to get around the more of the chalkier running backs we're seeing. We got Michael Carter at 5.6K, DeAndre Swift at 6.8K. Disappointed the last time people saw him. Now they're off. They remain two running backs on terrible teams that each have a chance to catch 10 passes during any single game. I mean, last week, the problem for Carter was that Mike White, Captain Checkdown, got hurt. Josh Johnson came in, started throwing the ball down the field. Mike White's back. So, yeah, they're playing the Bills. I'm not telling you to play a single other Jet on this slate. Please, for the love of God, don't. But, like, realize Michael Carter, he has that crazy 8-10 to 10 catch upside that made him a top six back in consecutive weeks before last week's dud. And with DeAndre Swift... Jamal Williams continues to not be practicing. So, yeah, the matchup isn't ideal, but they have the freaking cheat code tiebreaker for this matchup, and that is the receiving upside. So, um, only I don't think I had any other major notes here for tournament plays, Andrew. I know that you want to talk a little bit about these Packers running backs. And, you know, Seattle, I think a lot of people like to really attack that secondary, but at the same time, if Devontae Adams is just contained a little bit, offense needs to go somewhere. Seems like it could go through both Jones and A.J. Dillon. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones has these games. Like, his production is, like, pretty up and down for the most part. You know, he has these games where he scores, like, 50 points. Like, he just absolutely blows up. And then he goes quiet for a couple of weeks, and then he blows up again. And it just seems like a blow-up spot for him. Like, his roster ship's not really, really high because he's kind of in a weird – he's, like, weirdly priced. He's, like, not up there with all the bell cows. And It's, like, the same – it's, it's why I'm on Swift. They're right next to each other because people are either going up to Zeke or Eckler and higher, or they're just settling for Connor and Fournette or CPAT. Yeah, so I think that he's in a cool price range where you can get him a little bit lower rostered. And, I mean, the matchup is there. You know, Seattle's defense is horrible against running backs, third most points allowed, and they're really bad against running backs in the passing game, which is how Aaron Jones hits his ceiling. Like, the Aaron Jones boom games are because he has six catches for 60 yards and two passing touchdowns. Like, that's what you want. And the Seahawks, bottom seven in the league in receptions, yards, and targets to running backs. And I get why people are somewhat, like, concerned about Jones because AJ Dillon is getting more involved. He's averaged 14 touches per game over his last five weeks. So that's also why I think as a pivot off of these really, really chalky uh, lower price running backs, you know, if AJ Dillon outscores Dearness Johnson, outscores Devin Singletary because he has a monster game. Like, I don't think people really, like people look at AJ Dillon and don't think, oh, he's a backup running back. But, you know, 14 touches for a backup running back is could be literally what Devin Singletary sees as a starting running back. So, and he's going to be so much less roster. I almost feel better about like AJ Dillon straight up over the Devin Singletary, just, just because I think that he's the better player. And I mean, the Seahawks defense, like we the, their worst game this year was against Derrick Henry um, when they were playing against the running back. So, you know, AJ Dillon is the, kind of like the, one of the closer guys to Derrick Henry comp that we have one of these bigger guys, Quadzilla himself. So AJ Dillon, especially as a late swap opportunity, if you're trying to make a pivot, I think that Aaron, or AJ Dillon could be a really interesting guy. You know, if it was dark out and like he had a hood on, you might confuse the two. I don't know. They got some pretty, pretty big thighs out there. Moving on to wide receiver. It's Justin Jefferson, man. That's my favorite wide receiver play on the slate. I know he has a chance to go off any given week. He had a long touchdown last week. It's just a matter of these targets correcting themselves. And in this matchup, man, like it's just hard to see him really busting here. Looking at the Chargers, they do have a good pass defense, but Michael Davis, starting cornerback, is again not practicing with the hamstring. It looks like Asante Samuel Jr. is going to make his way out of the concussion protocol, and he better because their starter in his place, Ryan Smith, is also not practicing with a knee injury. We got the squeaky wheel narrative going on, Andrew, which again, it's kind of wild because he did have that long touchdown last week, but even the Vikings realized that 
Nine targets in two games is not enough for one of the best wide receivers in the NFL per Vikings OC Clint Kubiak. You don't want to come out of games with Justin having those type of targets. What's going to happen? They're going to feed him all the targets he can handle, and they might need to in a game against the Chargers that they're going to have to keep pace. So, again, just I, I love – I'm going to try to center a lot of these tournaments around the Vikings-Chargers game stack and then going off from there. I also think that looking at those, you know, upper 6K receivers, Evans, Deontay, and DK – Going up just a little bit more to CeeDee Lamb, I think, could make a lot of sense. I don't think he's going to be going completely, you know, under the radar. He's not going to have sub-5% roster ship or anything like that. But that's okay. If they're at 10% and they score a bunch of points, you know, that's that's perfectly fine. Everyone, we don't need to be shooting for every single person on our tournament lineup having sub-5% ownership. CeeDee Lamb coming off a week in which he led the entire NFL in unrealized air yards. Truly, with two better balls, could have had long touchdowns. Facing a Falcon secondary, well, yes. A.J. Terrell been playing fantastic this year. Only Jalen Ramsey is a higher graded cornerback than Terrell for the Falcons. He's not following number one receivers. The Cowboys move theirs all over the formation. So don't be dinging like the perceived matchup of A.J. Terrell on CD any more than you would on Amari Cooper. This is still a Falcons secondary that is not a unit to fear, particularly against the Cowboys, who until last week we all were treating as and probably still are the best offense in the NFL. And with that, Andrew, we do also have Michael Gallup sitting at just 4K. What we talk about or a good way to differentiate our lineups, do the opposite of the normal roster construction. People are paying up at wide receiver, will pay down at wide receiver, get up to CMC otherwise. So I think Gallup at 4K, James Washington at 3.5K if Claypool was ruled out. I liked Rondale Moore at 4.4K. He didn't practice on Thursday, so we're going to need to keep an eye on that. Maybe get up a little bit to Christian Kirk. But yeah, man, I think potentially paying down at wide receiver and up at RB makes some sense. And just, again, for two guys, though, I do love Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb going off this week. Now, looking at some of the guys you got. You're with me on Justin Jefferson and Gallup, which I love to see. Now, Terry McLaurin, I actually love this call, Andrew. I was shocked when I was doing my wide receiver uh, cornerback article, which you guys can always find on pff.com. I'm pulling up the numbers now, but he has been such a boom or bust wide receiver this year, man. And Andrew, like that's basically what we want to play in these types of tournaments. You know, like Ricky Bobby said, first or last. And I think Terry gives us that possibility. I know it's not the easiest matchup, but hey, he's posted three top five fantasy finishes this season, and he's failed to finish higher than 45th during his other five games. So we're either going to get a killer game and we, we're at, in contention or we're not, but that's who we should be trying to play in these tournaments. Yeah, I think that he makes a ton of sense. You know, maybe it's obvious how oh, you, you do a Tom Brady double, you bring back Terry McLaurin as the bring back option, but, you know, not enough people do it. So at 7,600, again, no, he's not at a price point where he's cheap in any way, shape, or form, but the volume is there. Sixth ranked, 26% target share of the series, second ranked in terms of air yard share. So whenever they're going downfield, it's always going to Terry McLaurin. So whether it's there by garbage time, he gets there with Heineke, or Heineke just kind of does some ad. Look, Heineke. The one game he played, the reason he's on the team is because he balled out against the Buccaneers last year. So if there's anyone that has, you know, the Bucks number, quote unquote, you know, maybe Taylor Heineke can create some magic. He's obviously done it a couple times this year with McLaurin. Like you said, he's kind of had a couple of boom weeks. So that's what you're kind of hoping for going with Terry. I do want to hit on Justin Jefferson, a point that I made, you know, talking about the way that the LA defense runs their coverage. So cover one and cover three, and that's where Jefferson has like been absolutely deadly like that's where he's got a ton of his targets 37 36% target share 88 pff receiving grade 3.8 yards per route run so yes i'm definitely with you on the justin jefferson call i did want to also mention i know i thought this guy was probably kind of valuable in cash it just didn't work with the way we had our lineup kind of being built but i guess that also means he's a kind of a turn so tyler johnson uh yeah. for the buccaneers um so he actually had a really decent game last time the bucks played filling in for antonio brown he had five catches on six targets ran running around around 60 percent of tom brady's dropbacks and if he's out there i think that he's a also viable option like there's if there's no chris godwin and slash or antonio brown like only one of those guys needs to miss for him to be the number three receiver now i will say like scotty miller like potentially coming off of ir does throw a little bit of a wrench in it so i get why maybe that would get you off of him in a cash format but he's still going to be potentially the number two receiver i mean gronkowski looks like he's questionable i really don't think godwin or brown are going to play in this game so tyler johnson's gonna be running all the routes with tom brady's quarterback in a plus matchup so at 3400 
Like he's probably the cheapest receiver I can actually swallow like going down to because everyone else after that is really gross. I actually, Ian, I think I want to have some fun with you. So I actually went down and found four 3K receivers that I just kind of like wrote up. I was like, all right, I'm going to ask Ian which of these gross 3K receivers he would want to play or feel the least gross about playing. So I'll list off the names here. So we got, so Anthony Miller, who is on the Steelers. He's on the Steelers practice squad. I assume that he'll get activated because Chase Claypool is going to miss this game. At least that's what I think. So Anthony Miller. No. Antoine. Not, not- <laughs> Dude, against the Lions. 77 Bro, receiving yards. It's going to be Deontay, James Washington, Ray Ray McLeod. Like, that's their starting three receivers. I, I love Tony Miller. I've drafted him on way too many season-long teams over the last few years. But no, who are the other three? Uh, Antoine Wesley, so the Cardinals wide receiver that filled in last week. It it moved Uh, a little bit for him. Go. Anthony Schwartz, so ran the same amount of routes last week as Donovan Peoples-Jones, just didn't have the big plays. And then Scotty Miller, who would potentially be activated off IR. Okay, I think the answer is no to I mean, yeah, they're all all pretty terrible, but I just – Okay. These three – Schwartz is viable. I saw that he was banged up after the game but he is not an injury report so i guess he is actually okay you know he gets the same areas that donovan peoples jones does so i don't hate that call wesley aj green is i think going to be back this week so my concern would be he's the odd man out we did see zach Ertz's snaps in the slot reach a high with the cardinals last week i think it could easily just be kirk green rondale We'll see if Rondale's playing and then Zach Ertz. So I wouldn't love Wesley. I talked about Miller. So probably Schwartz. I mean, I, I just think that the people's Jones, I mean, the people's Jones things was great. I just feel like people Jones has is, is screaming the two catches for 17 yards game. Like, I feel like that's, that's like going to happen and it's going to be Schwartz that just breaks off like an 80 yard touchdown. Uh, Cause he's got the same upside. Like he's got that speed. And I think well, when you did your wide receiver cornerback matchup chart, is J.C. Jackson going to be on Peoples-Jones? At least that's I, what I would I would assume. Patriots haven't actually been shadowing since uh, week right. five, which is surprising. They're usually one of the teams that does that more than ever. I think they should be seeing about equal amount of each other. Look, J.C. Jackson, Like I wouldn't even necessarily consider that too big of a downgrade. I mean, look, J.C., he gets all those interceptions. Like That should make up for him getting burnt from time to time. But it's also just... To me, like he's one of those cornerbacks I'm less worried about because he does tend to give up some big plays as well. I guess the only other, the two guys that I like, I think you nailed Tyler Johnson. Like he's the answer under 4K, particularly if we're losing Goblin too. Like Tyler Johnson is, I think, specifically in a best case scenario, Chris Goblin's backup. Now he has been the number four receiver because Scotty Miller has been on IR. But if we take Goblin out, like that's going to be Tyler Johnson as their full time slot receiver. It'll be Scotty and then uh, Brashad Perryman on the outside. So with Perryman probably being in the picture now, that's what kind of gets me off of Scotty. So I think Tyler makes a lot of sense. And if we really Really want to get gross, Andrew. You want to go there. What about Marquez Valdez-Scantling? I know he played behind Lazard last week, but we got returning Rodgers. We got a Seattle secondary that we know can give up a big play or two. And for MVS, now second game coming off the injury. I mean, if you want to just talk about like absurd air yard potential, we know he's going to get two or three bombs downfield. We also know he could very well catch none of those and leave you a goose egg, but at least we have a guy that will be catching passes or at least be getting targets from Aaron Rodgers in a winnable matchup. I'm going to have so many dead DFS lineups that I swapped to, <laughs> swap to MVS on the, the late window games. We're like, oh, yeah, this lineup sucked because no, it wasn't MVS's fault. He was my uh, my late swap option. So, of course, it didn't work out. I can't also, I can't go a podcast without mentioning my guy, Deontay Harris, of course, because of again, <laughs> Always pops in the wide receiver quarterback matchup chart because he has PFF second high. He's PFF second highest graded wide receiver. It is, is it is a small sample size, but the guy gets fed targets. Like I don't know why it is. I don't know why the Saints love him so much, but he has the second highest target rate per route run. Now the issue is he's not running a lot of routes, so that that's like the, that's why he's somewhat problematic. But at 4K, I like him. You know, if Gallup gets a lot of steam, I think that Najee or excuse me, Deontay Harris. Kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's look, every time I talked about him, he either gets out and he has target. He has seven targets in his last three healthy games. 
38% target rate per route run, like I mentioned. So in the Titans defense, like we've seen them give up big games to receivers. I know they've been better as of late, but he's really their quick screen guy. Like he's the guy that they get to the ball to behind the line of scrimmage. And if Kamara is banged up, then we could just see more of Deontay Harris with Traquan and Marcus Callaway acting as the more traditional receivers going downfield. So yeah, Deontay Harris. Deontay Harris is number one with 12 targets during Trevor Simeon's time under center this year. Lo and behold, Andrew, here we are, Deontay Harris, Saints uh, number one wide receiver in Week 10. Yeah, I I don't disagree that the guys you named are some of the better sub-4K options, but honestly, I think I'm, I might throw some darts at Tyler Johnson. James Washington, if uh, Claypool is indeed going to be out. Otherwise, though, let's go to 4K. We can get Deontay. We can get Gallup. We can go up a little bit potentially to Rondale. We got A.J. Green coming back off the COVID list. Like, there's enough guys sub five that you don't have to go completely down into the dumpster. And I think that will probably be most of the tournament spots that I am looking at. I also see here, Andrew... One, Julio Jones, not listening on injury report this week. We haven't seen the blow-up happen just yet, but there is a chance. Now, A.J. Brown, I think, might fetch shadow coverage from Marshawn Lattimore. We haven't seen Marshawn do as consistently this year. I know he got beat a couple times by our guy, Alamide Zacchaeus, last week. But overall on the year, people, Lattimore has been pretty awesome. He held Devontae Adams, 56 scoreless yards. Terry McLaurin, 46 scoreless yards. Metcalf and Evans got loose for a long touchdown. Evans could have had two with a better ball for those counting at home. But both guys only targeted five and four times. And largely other than the one big play were held in relative checks. So if they do have Lattimore track A.J. Brown or even just kind of move more of their coverage there, maybe this is the week that Julio Jones finally starts looking like the guy we know he can still be. Yeah, I feel like Marshawn Lattimore plays a lot to his competition. Like when he's matched up against like an alpha, he That's like fair. brings his A game. And then when he plays against like scrub guys, he just kind of like takes the day off. And we all do it in <laughs> video games. You know, Marshawn's doing it in real life. You got to respect it. <laughs> so yeah, Mount, Mount Julio. It's time. It's eruption is happening for Mount Julio. It's going to happen. Like he just has these games where everyone's off him. Everyone's on AJ Brown, rightfully so. AJ Brown's gotten super high target share over the last four weeks. But you know, Julio's not going to continue to suck because he doesn't suck. He is still efficient. PFF's 20th highest graded wide receiver this year, 16th in yards per route run. So when he's on the field, He's been efficient. The issue this year has just been he's not been on the field that much, but he's fully healthy. Like you said, 84% routes run per dropback rate in week nine, which is highest since week two, which was his best game against the Seattle Seahawks. He should have scored a touchdown in that game. It was wrongfully called. He should have higher numbers than he has. So I think he makes up for that touchdown here against the tight, or excuse me, in this matchup against the Saints. You know, they've allowed the fourth most fancy points to wide receivers this season. And yeah, he's not going to be on Lattimore. So I like Lily Jones. All right, Angela, let's finish things off with some tight end talk, and then we can talk about the news that just broke Odo Beckham Jr. signing with the Los Angeles Rams. I don't love it, but let's talk about that right now. What the hell? <laughs> Screw it. We'll get to tight ends in a second. The Rams, man, I wanted the Packers or the Chiefs. Like, he's not, he'll, he'll probably, what, split some time with Van Jefferson? And... Isn't this why Deshaun Jackson didn't want to play for them? Because he wasn't going to play? God, why? That seems that just seems really odd to me. Like Deshaun Jackson literally left asked to be released from this team because he did wasn't playing enough. And now they bring in OBJ to he's gonna play more than I mean, I, I, that's 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 honestly really surprising to me that he went to the Rams. I guess like maybe he's maybe he was okay with it. He's like, I don't care, like I'll play the Deshaun Jackson role and I just want to win a ring. Like I don't really care. I don't know. Like what's his deal? He is their number three wide receiver, definitively, at best. I mean, Van Jefferson, who made Deshaun Jackson, who made Tutu Atwell before he got put on IR, really stay in the background. Like, there's a chance we only see Beckham being used in that D-Jax 15, 20 snaps will throw you one deep ball a game roll. Beckham will be awesome at it if you just want to make him be this overqualified one-trick pony field stretcher. I'm not saying he can't do it, but for fantasy, man, like, this is... This is rough. It hurts Van Jefferson, who was already a boomer bust wide receiver for him. You know, for everyone, including myself in a couple leagues, that was holding on to Beckham, really hoping that he could provide uh, some resurgence down the stretch here. This is going to be tough, man. I don't think we're going to be seeing many target games, like even over five at this point. Like, I would say hold him for a week. Let's see what these snaps look like. Let's see what Sean McVay says. But, 
Yeah, I, I don't like this, Andrew. Green Bay, he was going to be the wide receiver two and probably the number two pass game option. Kansas City, he would have been the wide receiver two and number three pass game option. Now, like, hopefully he's the number three pass game option, but there's some hurdles there. Yeah, and I think, too, to, like, try to draw some comparisons. You know, Antonio Brown, last year when he signed with the Bucks, like, he didn't immediately become fantasy relevant, and it was confusing at, at first. Like, we were trying to figure out, like, parse between him and Evans and Godwin, and and maybe there's an injury here that we're not aware of. You know, I, I know Robert Woods was on the injury report last week, you know, entering the game. I know he didn't practice, so maybe this is a, lot, a, a insurance policy, bringing OBJ. You know, maybe they – Maybe we see Robert Woods' snaps, like, decrease. I don't know. Like, maybe we see more of a rotation between Woods, Van Jefferson, and Odo Beckham, too. Because, obviously, the Rams have Super Bowl aspirations. Like, they don't care about the regular season as much. They want to win the Super Bowl. So, bringing OBJ makes maybe take some of the load off of those other guys. I think, obviously, Cooper Cup is still going to be, you know, the man because he just gets schemed, touches, and targets his way. But, yeah, it's it's definitely not exciting for fantasy. I will say, so you get the 49ers this week. Hard to kind of imagine OBJ maybe even suiting up for that one, the way things are. They get a bye in week 11. Gets to learn the offense. After that, Andrew, Packers, Jaguars, Cardinals, Seahawks, Vikings, and Ravens down the stretch. Are we back in now? That's like the best schedule you can even ask for. He gets the Vikings second. Like, all right. Everyone that's just saying, why are you guys still talking about him? He has 200-yard games since 2016. Like, for the love of God, people, take it from us nerd fantasy analysts. Watch the freaking film before you just say he's watched. I know everyone saw the Denver game where he got hurt halfway through, could barely even, wasn't even, like, supposed to be active in the first place. That's the lasting memory everyone has, not the three weeks before that where he got missed for three potential touchdowns against the Vikings. You know, he had 79 yards against the Cardinals, 77 against the Bears like two pretty good defenses in their own right. Again, more of just an issue about volume than anything. No, he's not the same guy from 2016, but that guy was arguably the single best receiver in the NFL. Like he can be 80% of that guy and still a potential wide receiver two, wide receiver three in fantasy land. I don't see that coming though with the volume issues at hand. Like... I would say, Andrew, like he should, pro if you have the roster spot, keep him because if Sean McVay decides that he wants to make OBJ a big part of this offense, that's going to be huge. It's just not the most likely scenario. So if you can keep him through the bye, good, but I don't think he needs to be. If it's a matter of like taking a zero out of position in a big game or not, like, yes, you can cut him. Yeah, I think that I would probably, I mean, I don't think you need to cut him because, you know, we're the way we're talking about this, obviously, you know, we are probably more pessimistic and trying to be realistic about, you know, what his expectations are. But there are people, you know, OBJ is still a, a very popular player that a lot of people still like and that see with rose-colored glasses, like, just, I would just try to sell him high. Like, like, and obviously, like, he could be worth more value than he ends up being like you trade him for, but... I think you could just probably move them now. Like people will be, people will convince themselves, oh, like Rams, high powered offense, like this is going to work. Even though, like, especially mid, like trades for receivers going to different teams half the time never works. Yeah. And especially during the season itself, like I, I very hide it, very, I'm very doubtful that we're going to see this really pay off, especially early on. Especially if you, if you need wins like now, like OBJ is not going to help you right now. And maybe down the stretch, like we see, like Antonio Brown did with the Bucks, like he was fantasy relevant a little bit down there to the stretch. Maybe that happens with Beckham. If there's an injury, okay, boom. Like he has that handcuff potential, kind of like Van Jefferson. Like that's why Van Jefferson yeah. was a guy we wanted to have on rosters because he had a handcuff. What if Woods gets hurt? Oh, okay, boom. Now OBJ is the number two. Okay, that's great. So yeah, I see there there is a path for him, but I think I would just try to flip him now uh, for whatever I can get. I think I got to figure it out now. This is like when the Seahawks signed Josh Gordon for the first time. And it was like, great name. We're happy for Josh getting to play with a great quarterback. We're happy for OBJ going to Stafford, having McVay. But too much target competition ahead. Not enough evidence of any sort of high-end production, let's face it, in quite some time for both guys. Probably someone that we don't need to be investing much time in in fantasy land. But... You could imagine, and if OBJ goes off, I'm going to be rooting for that dude each and every <laughs> step of the way. Back on track, though, Andrew, we got some tight end talk. You know, with no Kelsey, with no Andrews, and no Waller on this slate, it is pretty wide open. We got Kyle Pitts there at – no Kittle as well. Jeez. Kyle Pitts sitting there at 5.8K. Again, I think Matt Ryan, Cordero, and Kyle Pitts is just, like, pretty unique in that you can stack this guy with two essential – I mean – CPAT does line up more uh, as a running back than a wide receiver, but two guys that do play plenty of wide receiver are the team's top two pass game options. Obviously not 
not designated as wide receivers. So Pitts under 6K as a number one pass game option, I think makes a lot of sense. If you want to get off, likely Chalky, uh, Tyler Conklin, Dan Arnold in that mid 6K range, look at Ricky Seals Jones. Logan Thomas, you know, tried to come back this week. He was sore after the Monday workout. We'll see. If he's active, obviously you can't play RSJ, but in this Tampa Bay matchup, same things we said about McLaurin, you know, potential to bring it back with someone, maybe RSJ is that contrarian guy. And then again, it's gross. Maybe I'm just still trying to will some of those uh, July best ball teams into getting their act together. But Adam Troutman, low-key, has been playing a lot more recently. Like Jawan Johnson was still in the touchdowns. I don't know why he was a healthy scratch last week, but he was. And you look over the last two weeks, 13 targets for Adam Troutman. He's played at least 86% of the offensive snaps in four straight weeks. Like We talked ourselves into guys like Cole Komet before. You know, these cheap every-down tight ends that aren't completely atrocious pass catchers. I think that's what Troutman can offer in this spot. I'm not saying to go crazy with it. I just think based on kind of where this ownership's going at this low tight end range that he could offer you some value. Andrew, I see that you are looking at Troutman a little bit as well. We talked about Gerald Everett. Tommy Sweeney, if Dawson Knox remains sideline, he does have an every down role. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the play behind it. He has an every down role and he's playing the Jets and they're going to score points. Jets have been one of the worst teams against tight ends this year. And I know Sweeney hasn't done that much, but, you know, everything I've done, all the research I've done when it comes to routes run at the tight end position is that's a projector of more targets in the future. Like, that's really what we're looking for and what we're chasing. Like, you have to kind of take a leap of faith if the targets really haven't been there to start, but that's where you start. You got to look at routes. Like, you got to run a route to get a target. And no, Tommy Sweeney in his first two games has not really seen that many targets in the offense, but okay. He's a number two tight end, but it's a really good matchup. He's really cheap. If Gerald Everett somehow becomes the the chalky guy after we've hyped him up on this podcast, then okay, you get off the chalk by getting to Tommy Sweeney at the same price. So 2,600, I think he makes a lot of sense. Uh, Pitts as well, I just want to hit on. I, I was trying to like look at Pitts' usage in terms of like his target share, his air yard share to receivers. Because I think that when you look at him, you can't look at him like a tight end. Like I get you can put him in your tight end slot, but don't really view him as a tight end. I know you've hit on it, how he barely runs. He does not line up in line. I think he's around like 80% is slot or out wide. Um, and it's only 19% of the time he's lined up in line, you know, second to only our guy, Mike Gusecki, who's at like 5%. <laughs> People like taking this as like a negative with these guys. I, I think Gusecki is awesome. I've actually like been one of, I, I wouldn't go full like Stan Truther uh, mode, but you know, one of these guys I played in so much preseason DFS, hyping up the guy like, he is a freak. He is every like fantasy analyst wet dream when you look at his like athletic uh, profile and everything like that. It's just like one of these things. Why I hated like Ty Montgomery's uh, number for so many years. Like when you just have these complete aberrations going on, I need to address it, Andrew. It's my it's my job to people. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But <laughs> so I, with Pitts, you know, his target share is 23% over the last four weeks. That's the same as Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman is 6,300. Pitts is 5,800. Uh, his air yard share, 39%, which is first among all tight ends, is at uh, 39%. So it's the same as Justin Jefferson, as Tyler Lockett. So these guys that we view, you know, Justin Jefferson's at 7,700. Lockett's at 6,500. Like Pitts is underpriced. If he just had the wide receiver label, people would probably play him more in general. Yeah. So I think that's kind of why you just don't really view him as a tight end. Like you can play two tight ends and have pits in your flex because of the way that things can set up. So I know that the two tight end formula has really always been suboptimal, but that's because you've been playing two actual tight ends. In this case, you're not actually doing that. You are playing a wide receiver. So just keep that in mind when you look at Pitts. Really look at him as a wide receiver and compare him to other wide receivers. If you're looking for a receiver to add to the flex, you have around like that you're looking in that 6K range. Like make sure to also consider Pitts there because he really should be in that 6K range based on how he's being used. And then for my other tight, so Schultz at 5,500. I, I like what we saw last week. His usage went up a ton without Blake Jarwin, 91% routes run per dropback rate. We saw the Cowboys just go full-blown 11 personnel. 82% of their snaps were from 11 personnel, which was significantly up over 30% from the first eight weeks of the season. So that's why we like Gallup, because we think that we're going to see this team just run three receiver sets, one tight end, because that's where they have their best players on the field. So Dalton Schultz, every down player, Falcons have allowed the six most fancy points to tight ends of the last four weeks. He's in a weird range, like 5,500, and it's the touchdown. So with him, I really think you should play him with Dak because you need him to connect the two touchdowns, which is what he's done 
the most this year. That's kind of where he's had his spike weeks because other than that, like he's not going to get there alone, like on yardage or like a ton of targets and receptions. So you need him to connect on a couple touchdowns. So I think he makes sense in Dak tournament lineups. Uh, Odell watch maybe continuing. We got, we got some national reporter beef going on. <laughs> ESPN's Adam Schefter reported OBJ is expected to be an LA Ram. He said he's finalizing the deal. Mere five minutes later, Kim Jones reported that Odell Beckham Jr. tells her that he is on the fence between Rams and Packers. So go we'll to see. the Packers, OBJ. Come on, man. I'm usually, you know, I, I give Shefty the nod in these uh, type of cl- close calls, but come on. Be wrong this time. Give us OBJ <laughs> to the Packers. I'm sure this will probably be cleared up by the time everyone is listening to this on Friday morning, regardless. Okay. So, yes. Defenses, real quick. I just think, again, I usually try to list some like running back defense stacks that I think you can do that are a little bit different and give you plenty of upside. Uh, Leonard Fournette with the Buccaneers defense going up against Washington. Everyone is looking at the Buccaneers passing game. Maybe they run the ball so much more with all these injuries they have going on. Fournette is also someone that catches far more passes than most people give him credit for. Devin Singletary with the Buffalo defense. I know it's not great. We want Dearness Johnson, but again, if we can just separate ourselves from that much of the field, by going to the same price back who isn't set up as well, but could outscore the guy. You know, it could happen. Uh, I don't hate that call. James Conner and the Cardinals defense going up against P.J. Walker. Don't need to explain that one much. And just like, Andrew, we didn't even talk like much about Jonathan Taylor here. I know how much of a smash bar it is. The guy's been crushing it. He's facing the freaking Jaguars. If we take him and that indie defense, I think that gives you a plenty of upside as well in a week where maybe everyone's getting a little bit too cute looking at Carson Wentz and Michael Pittman. Any final thoughts on defense? No, I just mentioned the, the Packers as well. So I know I talked about like the Green Bay running backs, Dylan and Aaron Jones. So pairing them with the green bay defense like you know russell wilson could come out and literally be terrible like it's totally possible that you know he's not recovered fully from the finger thing something goes wrong he throws a bunch of interceptions Geno smith comes to the game like there's a lot of scenarios where you can see it playing out and they also play in the late window so i like having that flexibility of being able to move around my defenses you know when i've already seen the first the one o'clock games kind of play out so i think that green bay 2900 you know they're in the middle tier not a lot of roster ship for them so i think that they make sense and, and then jacksonville i know we hit them um in cash but i mean they rank third in pressure rate this year third like i feel like no one is talking about everyone's talking about how the bills are like falling apart it's like hey maybe give some credit to the <laughs> other josh allen and the jaguars defense that like played really well like come yeah. on like it's not just oh the, the the bills are crumbling it's like okay maybe they just played a good defense that like played i mean look urban meyer doesn't have that much control over the defense like i, I like he's really more operating on the offensive side of the ball yeah. and give credit to the Jack defense is playing much, much better than people will give them credit for. So, I mean, Carson Wentz, we know that he can make mistakes when he's under pressure. He just does stuff with the ball that you're just like, what is he freaking doing? He actually leads the league in turnover where he plays since week seven. So yeah, I mean, he is not going to see the birth of his child. So maybe the, the man upstairs is not gonna be pleased with Carson Wentz and he's going to throw a pick. The only reason we didn't go Jacksonville in the cash bill was because when we have Wentz and Pittman, that's not really optimal to be trying to play a defense against them. But yeah, man, in tournaments, they are absolutely the cheapest one you can get down to at just 2200 And you said it, man, the way Wentz does tend to hold the ball when things go south, certainly a candidate to have one of those four, five sacks games. I mean, two weeks ago, we had one of the worst interceptions any of us <laughs> have ever seen. Uh, certainly, you know, not uh, the guy that's going to go a full 60 without making a mistake or two. Andrew. It's time for our favorite stack of the week. I have already made, I think, my voice known with that. But I'm going with Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and bringing it back with Justin Jefferson. Going to cost some money, but my goodness, man, we could get four, hell, five combined receiving scores out of this group. Herbert's always a candidate to go for 300-plus, rack up three-plus scores himself. I just think this Vikings-Chargers game has the makings of a back-and-forth shootout between these two loaded passing attacks. And going with that construction, I didn't think you'll be able to fill it out with some cheaper mid-range guys and be able to still have plenty of upsides in tournaments of all shapes and sizes. What is your stack of the week, Mr. Erickson? Yeah, I'm going to go with the the Brady doubles because he's literally the quarterback one in fantasy points per game. A, a non-running quarterback is the quarterback one. It's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. So Brady, Mike Evans, Tyler Johnson, assuming that we're not going to see Dobbin or Antonio Brown, I'll bring it back with Terry and hope that he has that 30-point game that we know is in him and it just has been lacking the last couple of weeks. So I'll go with the Buck stack. It seems like if you've been playing TB12 doubles all year, you're probably making a lot of money. So I'm just going to keep it up. <laughs> 
Ain't broke, don't fix it. Not for the main event. The prop profit, he's 10 and 5 on the season. Everyone, you got the Justin Fields over last week. I hate that the Bears had to have a bye. We didn't get to really go into how good Justin Fields was on Monday night a little bit more, but nailed that one. Dallas Goddard finished, I believe, five yards under. And my goodness, man, he should have gotten the over in the first drive of the game. Jalen Hurts missed him on what could have been a 50-yard touchdown. So process was just fine with Dallas Goddard. He's someone that continues to, I think, be on the verge of a true breakout without Zach Ertz. We just haven't seen it yet. Andrew, what are the two props, if not more, of the week that people can go win some money on? Yeah, so uh, nothing gets me going more than Dan Arnold overs. So we got Dan Arnold sitting tight tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars over 38 and a half receiving yards. So Dan Arnold has been one of the most consistent tight ends, receivers, whatever you want to call him this year for, for Jacksonville. I mean, the other guys just really aren't nearly as involved. Agnew, Chenault, Marvin Jones. So Arnold's running around on 70% of the team dropbacks the last four weeks. You know, he's got top 12 tight end usage. He has 17 targets, 120 plus receiving yards in his last two games. And he's failed to clear 60 receiving yards just once as a full-time starter for Jacksonville. So he's at 38 and a half. So I like the usage. The usage alone dictates that he should get hit over this 38 and a half receiving yards mark. And then you look at the matchup, Indianapolis allows the eighth most receiving yards to the position this year. So I like the over on Dan Arnold. And then I'm going to go under here because unders just tend to be more profitable. And if you just take more unders, you're probably going to win more props. Uh, Stefan Diggs. Uh, I just, I just think he's not, his lines have not been adjusted to kind of his newer role as not, you know, this target monster that he was last year, you know, look at his target share this year, 22%. To last year, which is 29%. It's down 7% since 2020. So I just don't think the lines have adjusted 85 and a half receiving yards. He's only done that twice in eight games played this year. He's only been over 85 and a half receiving yards twice. So I get the Jets defense. It's not great, but it's really been efficiency, not necessarily volume that they've been giving up. Teams are just running the ball over them so they can not necessarily give up a lot of receiving yardage. So they've only had two receivers crack over 90 yards this season. So Stephon Diggs in this newer role where we're not seeing him see as many targets, as many receptions. I know his catch rate is down significantly from last year as well. I'm going to go under 85 and a half receiving yards. I think it's, I think it's just too high. Diggs under 85 and a half yards. Dan Arnold over. 38 and a half yards. It's a good point on Diggs. I actually didn't mention this in our wide receiver tournament players. I think I got distracted by the OBJ news breaking, but how about Emmanuel Sanders this week, man? I know he hasn't been booming lately, but he still has more total air yards this year than Diggs. He's in the mid 5K range. Like Beasley's the one that seems to actually be fetching most of the ownership, which makes sense. He's been the one playing more recently, but hey, I, this Jets defense has been okay this year. They're not horrendous. We can kind of put them in that Jaguars group of maybe a little bit better than people give them credit for. It still wouldn't shock anyone if Josh Allen gets back on track, those for five touchdowns, and Emmanuel Sanders is that field stretcher. Yeah, no, I think Emmanuel Sanders makes a ton of sense. I mean, someone's going to blow up in this game. I mean, we should see a bounce back for Josh Allen, but you know, they're just spreading the ball a lot more than they did last year. When And honestly, I wouldn't hate if they just went back to Diggs more. Like, that's what worked last year, and that's what I think what they probably should do, but – Alas, they got to get the ball to Sanders and Knox and Beasley. So it sucks. They had, I mean, some of those stats on Diggs' comebacks like last year were just absolutely insane. Like he was like doubling up the next closest guy in yards and catches on those hitches. It was just automatic each and every week. So they got to do something, but I'm, I'm confident they'll figure it out. It helps when you got the number one defense in the league and EPA per play as your offense uh, is struggling along. Chiefs wouldn't really know anything about that. People, hope you enjoyed the podcasting. And also, right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. Grades and data are live for every single player who logged the snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from week nine and much more. You can get all of PFF's locked article content, weekly player rankings to help you set your lineups, strength and schedule for every player, NFL and college football betting dashboards, our great powered projections and cover probabilities, and much more. Again, support the podcast and use code promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And also NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. Jack King Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win a promo code PFF. FF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager, one per customer. Restriction supply. See DraftKings.com. Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
and also whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFL's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both, and every football financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a cater party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, at Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Andrew, exciting episode as always. And we got a ton of work on pff.com that people can check out. As always, you yourself have your fantasy football starter and sit them out for week 10. You got your buy low and sell high targets based on high value opportunities. Of course, your weekly fantasy ranks got the waiver wire stuff out in the week. Your hardworking man, DFS cheat sheets still to come. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? Yeah, so I uh, had to trade away Miles Gaskin in Dynasty earlier oh, no. today because uh, I, I just, I, so I have Javante Williams and basically I'm looking at my roster. I'm like, you know what? I just want to, I want Melvin Gordon too. I, I just want both the Broncos running backs because I know the schedule is juicy. I'm a contender in this Dynasty league. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start both of them because I have Joe Mixon as like my stalwart running back. And then I'm just kind of like, rotating carousel of running backs. I've played like Devonte Booker, a couple backups. So I thought I could just trade Gaskin for Melvin Gordon straight up. Right. I thought that seemed like a pretty fair trade. I got rejected. Like I could not move Gaskin who I think is like 25 years old for a 28 year old Melvin Gordon. And I had to pay more to get him. I had to trade Naeem Hines and a third round pick for next year in a, a third round rookie pick next year. And I was like, whatever, like Hines, I literally never know when to play him. So I don't want him on my team. And then a rookie pick third rounder it's like eh. so yeah I, I traded to get melvin gordon who's old but now i have him and javante williams so if melvin gordon just literally turns to dust and like gets hurt it doesn't even matter because i have javante so i'm a winner no matter what gotta love the old win win yeah with heinz it's just one of those guys where i mean he'll pop off a little bit more like than someone like Kenyon drake but he just doesn't have that best case scenario if jonathan taylor gets hurt Heinz's role would increase, but like Marlon Mack would probably end up being like the preferred starter in the equation. Still, it's messed up. I mean, I, I've I've owned him in that dynasty league since it's it's like existence. Like I remember drafting <laughs> my first year as a rookie, and I was like, oh, this is great. I, I don't think I've ever started him once because I don't know when to play him. So I'm like, all right, sorry, man, like you're gone. Sorry. Yeah, like the time he went off uh, last week, it wasn't like this game where they were in comeback mode and they had to dump down a bunch of targets. He was just making the most out of it. Yeah, no, he, he definitely wasn't in jets. my lineup last week. So I was like, you know what? Sell high. Here you go. Bye. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Andrew, everyone can go check out on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Catch myself at iHeartits. And please, if you didn't check out all the episodes of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast this week, at least go check out the 10 questions with Aqib Tlaib. It was an awesome show. And his bold pick for the week. You know, maybe not the boldest, but whatever. Predicting a Deontay Johnson explosion against the Detroit Lions. And he said that before we knew Chase Claypool was going to be likely sidelined. So something to keep in mind. You heard it from Akib first. For Andrew, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to the BFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.